Welcome, everybody. I have a lot to say this morning, so I want to jump right in. If you guys could grab your seat, that'd be great. We are in week two of our series called Deepen. My wife and I had a conversation a few days ago that I want to just mention to you. This is with uh, my daughter, Caitlin. So, isn't that a cute picture? That's actually in Venice. That's where they went on their honeymoon, she and her husband, Roddy. And what's really cool is they're obviously out of the home and all grown up and married, and they want to do Skype dates with us, which I just think is the coolest thing for us. And she asked me a question during our little Skype date a few days ago that I thought was pertinent, and I I haven't answered it for our congregation here. She asked me, what is the, the biggest lesson that you have learned there on your sabbatical, which just ended a week ago? And my answer to that is this, is that we live in a human tragedy. Human existence on this earth is is like Geppetto that ran away, or Pinocchio that ran away from from Geppetto. Our civilization is doing its best to forget about God and to live as if there is is no God. And our, our world is kind of a train wreck as a result. And yet in the middle of that train wreck, in the middle of a, a broken and a fallen world, there's this beautiful love story. There's this God that is, is humble and pursuing and self-sacrificing, self-sacrificing even to the level of, of death on a cross. And if that's true, if that's true, then Christ followers, we need to live with our hearts alive to God. We need to live and brine and shine bright in this world. The empty cross or the the empty tomb tells us something. It tells us that that this story is true, that God so loved the world. And so he lived, he died, and he rose again. And that means that our lives are incredibly, incredibly significant. We need to live from our hearts. Here's the main point that I want to get across in this little talk. God wants to speak to you. God wants to speak to you. And today he wants to speak through me. Today he wants to speak through me. What I want to share with all of you is the importance, the the primacy of teaching and preaching. I shared that with my son. He said, seriously, you're going to give a teaching on teaching. Yes, that's what I hope to do here. I want to talk about how important Uh, This is, and it's for a reason, because I have so many memories. When I was sitting where you're sitting, and I was listening to someone teach or preach, and I can remember the look on the pastor's face. I can remember the tone of voice that was used. I can remember ideas that were communicated as I was listening to a teaching That forever changed my life. And so that's what I want to share with you today. We as a church need to shift radically. We need to move radically away from a casual approach to teaching and preaching. To a devoted, sober approach 
to hearing what God wants to say to us. So I've asked my good friend Carrie, come on out here, and can you all stand for the reading of the scripture? We do this now in order to remind ourselves that God has spoken through the word and he wants to speak to us. 1 Timothy 5, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Keep standing. This will feel awkward. It's like doing a wedding and the pastor forgets to say sit down. This will feel awkward for a minute. I, I want to share something before, he, before I pray for you, and I want you to stand when I pray for you. This tells us what the goal of the Christian life is, doesn't it? The aim, the aim of our charge. It's what? It's love. It's love. God wants to speak to us in a way that our lives are fueled by, by love. This is what Jesus said, right? He was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. And the second is like that. Love your neighbor. So as we look at this, this is why we have this mantra of ours. It's on our truck outside in case you're not familiar with it. Love God. Love people. Serve the world. But the context of this charge is preaching. That's why that word is used. The aim of our charge, our preaching and teaching, is to so transform your lives that we would live as people of love everywhere we go. So, can I pray for you? And pray for me, because here as I teach on God speaking through me, it would like be a shame if God didn't speak through me, right? Be like, well, that was a fail. So let's pray. Great God, I thank you that I can have utter confidence in your, in your word. This beautiful concept that God has spoken through his word and wants to speak to us today. And so I pray that you would give me a, a remarkable freedom. A remarkable freedom to just like get out of your way. And we as a congregation choose to open our ears to hearing whatever it is you have to say, whether whether we want to or not, we choose, we choose. Out of appreciation for the cross and an empty tomb, we choose today to sit at the feet of, of Jesus, not at my feet, to sit at your feet and to hear you speak to us, and we pray that. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. Uh, so just to orient you, what I want to do is give you a very uh, brief history of preaching. And then after that, I want to give practicals. Practicals on how to let preaching and teaching change your life. So a quick history about early Christianity. I, I'm wondering how many of us would consider ourselves brought up in a church background. Raise your hand. Uh, how many are, like would consider themselves unchurched I would, in their upbringing? I would put myself in that category. So early Christianity was a mix of this. There was both Jew and Gentile, Jew being churched, and Gentiles being we weren't brought up with this stuff, and yet we're finding ourselves now in the middle of our Greco-Roman culture. Now we're trying to follow Jesus, and like we're behind on this curve. We, we have all these questions and so there's so many things that would have been important in the first century, so many questions that people would have had coming out of that Greco-Roman culture is that, so how do we think about 
sex now? And, and how do we think about this concept of marriage? They certainly did not regard it as a covenant. That wasn't their thinking. How do we think about gender in that culture? There was a very clear hierarchy. Men were on top. They were superior, and females were inferior to that. And slaves and children were lower than that. There were social issues like slavery, where a slave was less valuable. They didn't count as much. And many people that were, became followers of Jesus were, were slaves. So there's all these issues that were relevant to them there in the first century, things that they had to deal with. But it creates kind of this distance for us as we read through the New Testament. It's like, what's going on here? Like there was a serious question that I, I'm a Christian now. My wife is not a Christian. Do I j just ditch my wife? What, what, what do I do? How do I handle that? I used to worship Aphrodite and have sex with temple prostitutes. Now I'm a Jesus follower. What do I do with that? I used to worship Artemis, the god most prominent in Ephesus. But now my friend, Crustaceous, my friend is inviting me to have dinner with him, but I know he's going to offer me meat that was sacrificed to this idol Artemis. What do I do with that as a Christ follower? There were slaves that had the question, I know through Paul's preaching that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, there's this remarkable equality in the kingdom of God. But I'm a slave, do I just announce to my master that I'm free? Like, what do I do with that? There were prostitutes that had come to know Jesus that were not allowed to put on a veil, which I'm going to unpack that in a little bit. But as someone who was sexually promiscuous and now sexually pure, a prostitute would go to a public gathering where some women would wear a veil to appropriately cover their beauty during worship. And these prostitutes were not allowed by law to do so. And so there's a question, there's a distance. When we read some of the New Testament, it's like, why is Paul talking about head coverings so much here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. How does that relate to us? And there's this distance that we need to overcome. But the early believers were devoted to preaching. They were devoted to the teachings. Paul would send a letter, and everybody in the church at Corinth would gather together, and they'd read 16 chapters of the letter that went on and on and on because they were on mission. It's like, how do I live out my life? And so there was a devotion to sermons, to preaching and teaching in the early church. Then around 300 AD, that began to shift because a man, uh, an emperor named Constantine, had a vision and believed he, be, he had become a Christian, and so he took some water in front of his army, and he threw the water on them and said, I baptize you in the name of 
Jesus Christ. And Christianity became legal for the first time. And the church was flooded with newcomers. And over time, what happened was preaching and teaching became less and less and less important. And it was replaced with ritual. And that brings us to the third season, third period of history that I just want to briefly allude to, is the Reformation. In the Reformation, people rediscovered the Bible. They rediscovered the Word of God. Through Martin Luther and others, they realized that we are trying to follow Christ without the roadmap. They also rediscovered the gospel. That we don't come to God through ritual or through good works, but through the grace of God. But they also rediscovered preaching. And so during the Reformation, the believers so hungry to live out their faith in the eyes of the world that sermons were put back into the Sunday service and then they became longer and longer because the importance of understanding the faith was so important. And Luther's sermons began to be distributed throughout the world. People everywhere would get the sermons and they would read them and they would just talk about them because the congregations were realizing the importance of preaching and teaching to the development of their faith. I want to show you a quote by a guy named Heinrich Bullinger. And uh, this is a, a quote that could be easily abused or misunderstood. But he said this, and this is in the Second Helvetic Confession. It's just one of the documents that the church wrote during the Reformation. The preaching of the word of God is the word of God. Now, let me clarify and say, I am not inspired in the way that the Apostle Paul was inspired. My words do not have equivalence to the scripture. That's not the point. The point is this. When a pastor stands up and preaches scripture, God is trying to speak through that person to his people. In other words, God wants to speak to you. And today he wants to speak through me. And I don't know how that affects you, how that lands on your spirit right now as we have this discussion. But for me, that means, man, preaching is sober business. Like, this is serious stuff. I, I love to laugh and be funny, and occasionally I am able to do that. Um, doesn't happen very often. And there's room for laughter. There's room for joy. But there's also room for just humility and listening. And making sure that we hear what is being communicated. The one thing that we cannot have. The one thing that we cannot have in our heart attitude. Whenever we listen to anyone teach and preach. Is a casual approach. So. What I did as a young believer. 
after I'd become a Christian, I got involved in my first church. I had never heard the, the, the word taught before. I had never heard the scripture unpacked. And I found that when I went to the service, it's like, man, that was really good. And so the next time I came and I brought a journal and I began to just write down the sermons, I would just take notes. And I found that not only did God speak to me through the sermon, but by taking notes when I went over this again, felt like God was communicating at a deeper level. The more I thought and reflected upon what was being communicated, the smarter my pastor got. I remember I had uh, two pastors that were in my life at that time. One was named Kenny, one was named Larry. My preference was Larry because he was funny. He was so funny he would sometimes get lost in his sermon. And it's like, um, you were speaking about the love of Christ? And he'd come back and he'd get back on track, but the guy was just funny. Kenny, I kind of, when Kenny would speak, I just didn't get as much out of it. Until one day, Kenny taught, on Psalm 51, verse 6, thou dost desire truth in the innermost being. And I remember that sermon. I remember feeling as Kenny spoke that there was this light that was shining down from heaven like on me. Like somebody took my journal and gave it to Kenny and he read it to prepare for that talk. And the whole point of the sermon was we are to be authentic, to live our lives from the inside out. I had never heard that before. I never understood that we're not to hold on to an image. Our inside is to match our outside in everything that we do. And the great lesson that I learned through that was that God can speak through anybody if they just teach the word. I experienced God speaking to me through the sermon. So God wants to speak to you, and God wants to speak to you through teaching and preaching. How? How can teaching change your life? Here's the first thing I want you to see. Teaching can change your life if you trust the person preaching. That's kind of obvious, isn't it? Like if you have a jaded attitude toward the person speaking, if you're suspicious of their motives, if, if they don't come across as being authentic, we all kind of push back. We all ha have this little meter where it's like, I'm detecting inauthenticity. And that causes us to be less receptive. Now, I'm not implying that we're going to be BFFs with everyone here. That's just not reality. But we live in an age of image, don't we? We live in an age where image matters. And it strikes me when Paul talks about his teaching, it strikes me what he says. So let's look. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my, my behavior. You've paid attention to my behavior, my attitudes, my aim in life, my goal, not just my words, but what you detect in my heart, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from 
them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, so even back then there were televangelists. Even back then, there were people that were trying to make money off of religion. This is nothing new. It's always been there. Deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing, knowing from who you learned it. Do you see the authenticity of his communication? He, he's saying to Timothy, look, you know me. Now, there's all kinds of different styles of preaching, and one is not better than another, but I do want you, I do want to draw your attention to something that we've been very intentional about. We speak about our emotions as we preach. We speak about our hardships as we teach. We talk about things that may seem irrelevant, like Caitlin wanting to Skype with us. I think that's so sweet. We want to share our lives with you. Jim shared about this season of doubt that he had. I shared about my struggle with anger toward God. We're doing this intentionally so that any walls of image would be torn down that you would trust our motivation. All that to say, we love you guys. We love you guys, and we just want to share our lives with you. That's, that's what I want you to see. Second thing is this. Teaching can change your life if you expect God. If you expect God, if you have expectation for God to speak through the word preached, if you expect that, then God is going to show up and be able to speak to you. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, notice the high regard for scripture that Paul had, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God. We're going to come back to that and unpack what that means. All scripture is breathed out by God. And profitable, notice the word choices here, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So when we talk about, the, the way that Christians often talk about it, this is we say the Bible is inspired by God. That's a good shorthand way of saying what Paul is saying here, that it's breathed out. I, I want you to understand what we do not mean is that the people that wrote the New Testament or the Old Testament fell into some kind of a trance, and God just kind of dropped truth on their minds, and then they wrote, and I don't even know what I'm writing. That's not what happened. That's not what we mean by inspiration. We also do not mean by inspiration, like if I would go out and write a song or a poem, and someone might read that and say, wow, that's really inspired. Yeah, but not like in the way the New Testament talks about. This word choice by Paul, God breathed out, is very, very specific. And it's brand new. Maybe you didn't know that. This phrase, breathed out, I should have put this in the Greek so you could see this. But it's Theo, God, Neustos, breathed out. 
that word had never been used before. Man, that affects me. It's like Paul's looking at the Old Testament, and it's like, how can this be? How can there be all of these scriptures that spoke of Jesus' birth? Yeah, I'm just glad no one was there in the front row. I, I don't know if anyone else saw that, but that's preaching, not teaching. That was preaching right there. When Paul looks at the Old Testament and he sees this beautiful story, this promise of a Messiah, and Isaiah 53 depicts Jesus' death, and Paul comes to this new idea that, like, God breathed out this story that we're part of. In the context of Paul's life, just so that we see this, Paul was about to die. His head was about to get cut off by Nero. He's writing from prison in the Maritime prison in Rome. And he's writing his dear friend. And he's saying, he's kind of grabbing him by the throat and saying, this is, you've got to hear these final words from me. This is how I want you to think about scripture as, as you do your ministry. Think of it this way. Scripture is breathed out. By God. So the context of Paul's life is he's in prison writing. The context here in this letter is he's talking about preaching. So, like, if you open up your Bible tomorrow morning and you're reading the scripture, the scripture is inspired. But the context is not like a devotional, a quiet time. The context that Paul is speaking about is Timothy's preaching and teaching. So God wants to speak to you. He loves you. He wants to speak to you, and he wants to speak to you through preaching. There's a very human element uh, to preaching and teaching. I mean, if the Buckeyes lost yesterday, I'd be like speaking on depression today and for the next few months. And, you know, if you have a fight with your spouse, if you were up late, there's a very human element to teaching and preaching, but there's a divine element here. And I want us to see this. There's a divine element to preaching and teaching. Jeremiah puts it this way, chapter 23, verse 22. If they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people. I love that. So when I prepare a teaching, the very first thing that I pray and I ask God, would you give me what your message is to your people? I don't, on Saturdays, I dial the RPMs of my heart back down, or at least I try. And one of the reflection questions I have is, did I teach as a messenger of God, or did I just give a teaching? Because to me, there's a difference. So what I want you to hear here is that God wants to speak to you through prayer-filled, spirit-filled, teaching and preaching. There's some questions that we need to ask as we look at the scripture, and these have made all the difference in the world to me. The first is this. What was God doing then? Have you ever been in a Bible study or in some kind of discussion where the first thing that we say is, well, what this means to me, wrong question. You cannot understand the scripture without first asking, what was God doing then? What did 
this verse mean to the recipients of it? And then we can ask the second question. How can that inform what God is doing now? There's, without asking these questions, there's very chunky sections of scripture that are very confusing. I want to go back to the veils, the idea in 1 Corinthians 11 about head coverings. Now, we, of, of course, when, whenever we hear, hear this of a head covering or of a veil, we think probably of Islam and probably of women being oppressed. And I want you to know that that was very far from the scenario that was going on there. In Greco-Roman culture, only some women could veil themselves. Uh, a married woman would wear a veil. This is her way of saying, I belong to this dude. We're in covenant relationship. My body is for his eyes only. And the woman would experience protection. The veil meant, do not come near this woman. To, to not wear a veil would be to say, I am sexually available. And not only that, but only some women, because of a decree that was passed by Octavian, there was actually a law that said only some women are allowed to veil. Not prostitutes, not lower income women, and not slaves. So now, doesn't this change our reading of this very chunky section of the Bible? When you understand the church gathered together and there were some women that were veiling themselves, saying, this isn't about my sexuality here. I'm here to worship Jesus. And there's other women who used to be prostitutes that are now following Jesus and would actually desire to, to veil themselves, to cover up their beauty as they make it not about sex, but about coming to worship Jesus. And what do we do? And Paul comes up with this brilliant idea of inviting women who have never been allowed legally to wear a head covering to do so because the, now they're pure before God. I don't know what that does to you guys. This is just a very brief tangent. But to me, it shows we've got to ask the question, what was going on then before we can ask the question, what does this mean to us? It's brilliant, I think, that Paul created equality in the churches that he led. Okay, I got to go on quick to get through everything I want to share with you. Back to verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, yeah, reproof, for correction. Uh, who here likes to be corrected? Do you, you do not. So like if I, if I said to somebody, Hey, can you hang out after the service? Because I, I wanted to correct you on something. You know, I know what that's like. You have this sinking feeling. And yet, don't you see here in preaching that there's an aspect of correction that has to happen. That's just what we have to do to understand how to follow Jesus is to understand it's different than the way culture is living. And that's challenging for us to teach in such a way. Verse 17, verse 17, that the man of God, the reason it says man is because Paul is writing a man, Timothy, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, for every good work. Now, I want to bring you to this third point. Teaching can change your life if you believe God has a really big dream for you. I, I worded that specifically. Sometimes we think God wants us to get our act together. I say, no, 
that you may be equipped for every good work, that tomorrow when you walk into your job, that you're equipped, you're inspired, you know that person matters to God. And that person that no one else notices, you notice. And you show some act of kindness to them because the word of God has inspired you. God has a big dream for your life. It's a beautiful, big dream to represent Jesus in this world. I'm going to show you a picture of my son from a few years ago. Isn't that like the greatest picture? It says so much about his personality. So what is the motive between a parent and a child? Janet and I, maybe only once, sat up conspiring, how can we make our lives kids miserable? No, we never, we never did that. Every command we ever gave them was because we have a big dream for them. We're not trying to just get them out of the house. We don't even want them to leave. We want them to come back. But we want their lives to flourish. Now, if you're taking notes, please jot down these two verses because they're not on the PowerPoint presentation. Proverbs 23, I think. Yeah, 23 verse 26. It's a father speaking to a son. And he tells his son, he says, my son, give me your heart and let your eyes delight in my ways. It's a father saying, trust me because I have your flourishing in my mind. Now think about God the Father. What is his motive in speaking correction into our lives? It's for us to flourish. Deuteronomy 5.29 says, oh, that they might fear me. Oh, that they might fear me and reverence me always, that it would go well with them. This is God as a father saying, if my people would just respect me, I'd be able to move into that place and speak to their lives. You guys ever known someone that like gives off a vibe? You know what I mean by that? Like, especially a vibe that says, don't you dare bring anything up with me, Okay. Some of you are kind of like looking around right now. I'm not meaning to call out anyone here, okay? If you're a wife, you're allowed to look at your husband and point at him, okay? You can do that. But, you know, when a person gives off a vibe, like, we don't bring anything up with them, right? Probably not the best way. We could love better and communicate hard things. But God wants to speak to us, and he wants us to drop our vibe as a father. Okay, fourth thing. Teaching can change your life if you know there's stuff you don't want to hear that you need to hear. If you know that there's stuff that you don't want to hear, you don't want anyone to poke around in this area of your life, you don't want anyone to talk about that. Let me tell you, it takes courage for Jim and I and others to, to communicate about hard things. But we know this because this is what we've experienced. There's stuff that I don't want anyone to talk to me about that God does want to talk to me about. And I want to have ears that will hear that. Mark Richt, I was talking with Jim about this. Mark Richt is a uh, football coach. And um, they took a poll of coaches 
And the question was, if you sent your son to, to be under one coach, who would it be? And the person that won that poll was Mark Richt. Because he's a, a devout believer, and when he speaks into people's lives, it's not to tear them down. It's to build them up. And people know that, and they sense that. But let's talk about expectation here. If you're on one of his teams and you're a wide receiver, wouldn't you expect to hear hard things? Wouldn't you expect to get corrected? Doesn't it make sense? Don't we all want to do better? I was privileged to see a conversation the other day. I was privileged to see a conversation between two Christians. And one Christian said to the other Christian, Man, I want to hear what you have to say. I just want to do better. I just want to do better. Don't hold back. Share with me whatever I need to hear to help me do better. And I thought, wow, wouldn't it be great if that was our heart? Last thing. Teaching can change your life if culture's questions don't drive you off the road. Teaching can change your life if you just hang in here, give it time, let teaching and preaching work its magic, its power on you. There are people in our church here that some time ago they weren't following Jesus. And teaching and preaching softened their heart. And over time, they began to look at culture skepticism and jaded cynicism, and maybe they got burned by a church a long time ago, but they softened and decided, I want to stay on this road. I get this example from my sabbatical of driving uh, down a road in Colorado on the top of the Colorado Rocky Mountains, and uh, oh man, there's like no barrier on the side, and the guy driving the car kept taking his hand off the car to talk with us, and then at one point he turned around, and I literally took his hands and put them back on the wheel. It's like, stay on the road. But let me show you an image of the most dangerous road. I think this is from Bolivia. It's nothing but a sheer drop. And the point of this is that God wants to speak to us and scripture is like a highway that has guardrails. And those guardrails are think this way, receive hard things, walk, drive down this road, and let's carry on this dialogue. And don't follow culture off of the cliff into despair and hopelessness of living this life without a God who bled and died for us. Can you please stand? I want you to look at my five takeaways before we worship. Pray that God would speak to you. When you come back next week, pray that God would speak to you. Take notes. Bring your Bibles. It's allowed. I know you have your Bible on your phone. That doesn't count. <laughs> there is freedom. Listen to sermons. And let's make the scripture. Let's make the scripture the center of our communities and the center of this community. Jesus said, where two or more 
have gathered together, there I am in their midst. And so now let's bow our heads and let's remind ourselves of God's presence, the presence of a Holy Spirit that wants to move on our hearts, lift our cares, and look up to a God that is good and who loves and who speaks, a God that wants to speak to us and wants to soften and change our hearts that we could fall in love freshly and deeply and be followers of the King of Kings, the God who loved us to the point of death. Lord, we come to you in your presence. Draw our hearts, we ask. Help us connect the dots between 2,000 years ago and right now here in this moment with all the stuff that we're facing. Would you help us to celebrate and worship you in the great name of Jesus.